You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Good morning. Good to see everybody. If you would uh, be turning to uh, the book of Psalms. Today we're wanting to make some considerations from the 23rd Psalm. I'm sure if I began to read this, you'd be able to read along or quote along. Uh, It's the reason why this uh, psalm is uh, considered to be the most famous in the English-speaking world. Uh, In our hymn book, uh, we have three settings of it uh, to different music and slightly different uh, uh, paraphrases to make the fit the lyric, lyrical structure of the song. We also have two other uh, paraphrase versions. So there's basically five versions of this psalm in our hymn book. And I've been listening to uh, quite a few versions of this psalm uh, uh, being sung and performed over the last month or so. I have a little project that I need some music for, and uh, I cannot find uh, the setting of it I want in a a cappella form. I can only find it with uh, symphony orchestra. It's beautifully done, but it's not quite what I need. Uh, but uh, uh, there's a new setting of this uh, psalm to, to, uh, to music, and it's really striking by, by Goodall. It's, a, uh, it's too new to be in our hymn book. Uh, our hymn book was published before uh, this version was written. Uh, but anyway, if, if you ever are interested, there's a Goodall version. Uh, that's the name of the composer. That is just a striking uh, version of this psalm set to music. It's really popular in England. It was used actually as a, a theme song for a TV show a couple of years back. But uh, this Psalm 23, of all the scripture that uh, people in the world know, unless it's that one famous passage from Matthew 7 about not judging, it would be this. And I uh, went to the funeral uh, down in Oklahoma this week and was handed my, uh, my program card uh, with the relevant dates and information about the deceased, and uh, I looked at it immediately thinking, okay, we're going to see the 23rd Psalm. And no, we didn't. We didn't have the 23rd Psalm in the funeral program, and so uh, it wasn't used uh, at the funeral. But you are handed a funeral program card, and what's the chances this psalm will be there? Well, it's 50-50. And so uh, people know this psalm uh, in times of trouble. Uh, people quote this psalm, uh, but... I think in that regard, it's the psalm that maybe most people profane uh, in their use of it because they simply lie when they say it. How does the psalm start? The Lord is my shepherd. And every benefit and every good that we can have from this psalm are going to come from that fact. And after you've lived away from, you know, it says, he guides me in the path of righteousness. Well, when you have walked every path but righteousness, when you have uh, eaten in every place but his table, uh, when, when you have uh, not been comforted by his rod and staff, but you have fled in holy terror from the very consideration of the things, when you say that, well, he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies, 
but really you've never eaten at his table, and you basically eat at his enemy's table. And then in a time of trouble, you either say, Mary, you know, Mother Mary, comfort me, singing a Beatles song, or you say, the Lord is my shepherd, quoting the one piece of scripture you know. For so many people, this psalm is just an absolute lie. It is. But for those who are under his care as pastor and shepherd, it is the most comforting thing imaginable. It is a full set of blessings and provision that make us not need to want or want to want anything else. I shall not want, both in the sense of, uh, I don't need to, I don't need anything, I want for nothing, but also in the sense of, I don't want to want that. I got what I want already. And so, if we can say the first line in truth, the rest of it follows logically, progressively, wonderfully, and fully. But if we can't say the first line in truth, then the rest of it's not coming. There are those who, like Mark 6, Jesus saw them and he saw that they were sheep without a shepherd and so he had compassion on them and he began to teach them. There are those out there who want this shepherd and they know they need this shepherd and they know they're shepherdless without him and they need someone to teach him better the way. But then there's others who are shepherdless by design and desire. They don't want the guidance of a shepherd. They don't want anybody to guide their way. Some of them especially not in the paths of righteousness. Goodness, leave me anywhere but that for some people. But then in times of greatest trouble, what are they going to come back and recite? Oh, the Lord is my shepherd. No. Well, act like it, please. But all of this will be... All of this will be contingent on us truly being under the shepherd. All of this will can, can really be dependent upon uh, him guiding us. And so the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Well, why not? Because of the blessings he gives. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me. Beside quiet waters, he restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to recognize you and seek you and come to you. Help us to appreciate that you are the Lord of the word given so that we may properly understand and seek and follow what you say, which is the word of the Lord. Sanctify us in the truth that you speak and help us to seek your truth and be led by Jesus, the great shepherd, we pray. 
Amen. So all of this flows from he is my shepherd. He is my shepherd. I don't need anything. I'll be content in every kind of circumstance, in every kind of situation, in all kinds of things that other people are upset by or want and greed, consume their souls, or people are dissatisfied not knowing where things are, how things are, what things are important. But we're going to be content, not wanting, because we're under the shepherd. Now, it's not because of either of these. It's not because we're just insensitive or uncaring. There are some people who just stoically go through life. They eliminate feelings and emotions, and they just have a big plate of I don't care. And uh, it's nice to deal with people like that, isn't it? They're kind of cold to the world. Sometimes they don't cause too much trouble because they're indifferent to so much. But what if you ever need something from them? Well, all they've got to do is, uh, and, and to offer you, to help you with, is just you know an extra serving of their big heaping plate of I don't care. So they can give you some of their I don't care, and then you can share that too. And Well, well thanks. Uh, appreciate that. No, it's not just stoically going through through life as though, uh, you know, uh, nothing really matters or that uh, I don't care anyway uh, or, um, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm just past that, I'm over it. This is not uh, the way we have the obligation to bear one of those burdens and fulfill the law of Christ, to both rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And sometimes I don't know which of those is harder. Uh, there's some people who can't really commiserate well with people that are suffering. There's other people, though, that because of their envy, because of their jealousy, they can't really be happy when other people are happy. And so I, I don't know which one of those is, is more breached in, in conduct today among people, and which ever has been, because uh, when we speak today of these problems, we're speaking of universal human nature problems, things that have been there from the beginning and ever shall be except for being cured in Christ. So it's not that. It's not that we're insensitive, uncaring, that we're just, uh, you know, we've, we've checked out on everything. It's also not that we're self-satisfied. Uh, this was the problem sometimes for uh, religious folks who, uh, like the Pharisees, get into a holier-than-thou thing, right? They, 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 as Luke said, they view others with contempt, uh, they think, well, we're with God, why aren't you? Um, we're, we don't have a satisfaction within ourselves that we are righteous like some do. We haven't, hopefully, uh, like the church at Laodicea, uh, that they were lukewarm, they were not hot or cold. Because you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Why were they lukewarm? Oh, I'm rich and I've become wealthy and I have need of nothing. Well, hey, they don't need anything. Isn't that what this text says? Well, they didn't think they needed anything, like the Pharisees who didn't think they needed Jesus' healing and, and sight, so they remained blind. But these folks, they thought they were wealthy. They thought they didn't need anything. But the text goes on to say, yeah, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You need a lot. You just don't know it. And so it's not that, okay, what I've got is the right thing, and I'm, I've, I've, you know, I'm living the right way. Why aren't you? I don't seem to be having these troubles you're having. They're trusting not in God's grace, not in the need to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, 
uh, but thinking too highly of what they've already accomplished as though by their own way they've done it. And so there's a complacency there, which, again, might say, I don't want, but it's pulled up way short on where it's been satisfied. It's not satisfied in all these pleasant things and blessings of God. Being filled and fulfilled in God, resting satisfied. We won't be under his care as a shepherd, disgruntled or disheartened. We won't be detached. Uh, we won't be anxious either. And, and that's, a, that's a balance between, you know, some people we know, they're either going to be clinging or nothing. It's going to be, um, uh, you know, an anxiety all the time or complete detachment from a thing. It, we're not going to be detached and we're not going to be anxious either. We're going to have a rightly and godly level of concern. And we can have that without it wearing us out. Uh, we know one of the things that happens in the world is a thing called compassion fatigue. People care for a while and they go, I just can't do this anymore. I've, I've run out of care. I've run out of concern. I've run out of strength to help. We, instead, under God's control, where he continually fills us up, uh, he makes our cup run over, right? Um, from the overflow of abundance that he gives us, that we would like to share with others, uh, we can be both concerned for them without being anxious. We can be filled without just stuffing ourselves to uh, you know, some kind of, of uh, horrible Bacchanalian uh, overdue, uh, but we can have enough for us and have to share as well. Being filled and fulfilled in God leads to a real contentment. Again, look at the list of things uh, which are provided as we go through here uh, from verse 2. You lie down in green pastures. Right? And so where's the, where's the nice comfortable place to rest? Where's the nice place to stay? It's in green pastures. Uh, this weekend when I was down after the funeral, got to help mom and dad uh, clean up their yard. And one thing, this, uh, this yard they have out in very central uh, part of Oklahoma, there wasn't much of it green, none of it lush. It was it was browned and burned over, and uh, they got a goodly number of stickers and other different things. It'll stick you, not just stickers. Um, but one thing you didn't want to do is you didn't want to lie down in that. You just don't. You, you don't want to lie down in my mom and dad's yard. Now, um, there are places, though, uh, where people, you know, have watered their lawns, and, and there's some shade, and... You know, if you're walking on the hot concrete or the hot asphalt, it's such a refreshing thing to be in the cool grass. And so on a hot day to be in uh, the, the lush green grass, that's a place you'd want to sit. That's a place you'd want to lie down. That's a place. And then you've got quiet waters. Man, if, if you could sit in a nice green lush field overlooking the lake, Right? How many of us would take that for this afternoon's festivities? How many people are trying to create that for the, for the holiday weekend? Here he gives this, the green pastures, the soft and nourishing grass for the sheep, the quiet waters, the, the, the lovely uh, pastoral scene that there, the shepherd brought his sheep there. But I think about the geography, the topography, the vegetation of... Uh, you know, Palestine. We sometimes see on the, on the news, we see Palestine a lot, don't we? 
Now, I realize it's mostly the cities because there's some kind of unrest, unrest and some kind of rock throwing and some kind of rubber bullet shooting that's going on, and we don't get to see the, the countryside. But even when we do see the countryside of Israel today, how much of it looks lush and green? I got to tell you, it makes my folks' place there in central Oklahoma look warm and inviting, doesn't it? Comforting and cool compared to some of those rocky places and some of those uh, burned over things. And so this shepherd, he didn't find the green grass for his sheep to lay in because they were just all around and on every hill, right? This is not the green and pleasant land of England, which, by the way, is beautiful sheep country. Uh, and I think I'd rather try to raise sheep there than in Palestine. But if there are green pastures, the shepherd found those. And he took his sheep there intentionally. And he's been on the lookout for places like that. And so in that land to find green grass, in that land to find a quiet place, in that land to guide all his flock there, yes, no wonder in a land such as that, this is the image of what restores our souls. Verse 3. So he restores our souls. We're content in God from head to toe, all the way down uh, to, well, if we're sheep, to our hooves, if we're people, to our boots. We are restored and comforted in this oasis that, not just like a shepherd has found one after his searching, but in this case, God has created this oasis for us. He's created this sustaining place for us. And how do you get there? In the path of righteousness, right? The shepherd knew the paths. He knew where to take the sheep. God knows where to take his flock. It's in a path of righteousness. You don't get down to the green grass and the quiet waters. You don't get to the place of rest and restoration. You don't get to the place of satisfaction without following his path. And so he's providing us everything. But it's the end of the place where he leads. And that path may lead by some places like this where the water is still, but it also leads to the valley of the shadow of death. It leads by some places you don't want to go. It leads by some places that you do get to avoid, and you do get the, the worst of it spared you, but it's still within sight of that. There's no place in this world where the shadow isn't of, of death hasn't gone. There's no place where the stench of death isn't wafting on the air at least a little bit. And it's unsettling. It is unsettling. I'll tell one more funeral story <laughs> from this weekend. Uh, there was a, a youngster there, a uh, teenager, and he was uh, attending to a uh, relative who needed his help, needed, needed help getting around and, 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 and being taken in and, and seated properly and things. And, and that's to his credit that he was doing that. To his credit entirely. And um, one of the things that they had there at the, at the uh, lobby before the service, there was a coffee pot. And uh, that person he was tending to had had some coffee. And after the service, they wanted a bit more. And they asked their teenage attendant to, to, uh, to go get them some. And not to his credit, he refused. And the reason he refused, uh, not just because he's a surly teenager, he may or may not be, I don't know him that well. But he said, I'm not going back in there. He did not like being in the funeral home. He did not like being in, with anything associated with the death and the, 
services of death and the commemoration of death. He didn't like any bit of that. And to some degree, I don't blame him. When I was a young and surly teenager, which I've mostly recovered from now, but when I was a young and surly teenager, funeral homes were not my favorite places either. Not at all and not in the least. Because of what? Because of everything it reminds you of. Uh, my, my mother, as I've told you before, she, when I was a teenager, worked in a nursing home. And because of the shifts, she sometimes worked in order to see her uh, or to ask a question because we didn't have cell phones and all that. We actually had to go see people, talk to people, be face to face. But we'd have to go into the nursing home. And she had an office there, but sometimes she wouldn't be in the office. She'd be out on the floor doing various tasks and duties. Anyway, so me being in a nursing home was just common, regular. And then sometimes on, on Sundays, the church would send the, the delegation down there to sing hymns and, uh, uh, and to teach the, the, the Bible. Uh, hey, I'm still doing that. <laughs> but uh, I would do all that. And once or twice, some friends of mine would be with me when we needed to go into the nursing home. And some of them wouldn't go in. They said, no, I'll just wait for you out here. And some of them wouldn't go, past the, wouldn't go past the living room. You'd come into the living room and then off to the left or the right because it was mirror images of two buildings. You'd turn into the area where the, the residents were. And some of them wouldn't go down there. They wouldn't go into the... And, and, and then some of them, they would go down the hallway. But I remember once there was some... Uh, I knew a lot of people in there and they, they knew who, definitely who I was. So if I went in to see mom, I had to see 10 people. If they, if they knew I was in the building, you had to see them go in their room. And some of my friends, they'd wait at the door. It's just, you know, old lady that I happen to know because well, mom works there and I've seen her over there. But they would want to talk and, ch and chat and I'd have to, of course, exchange pleasantries as much as a, you know, surly young teenager would do. <laughs> but I, I would meet the minimum and then scoot out. But occasionally the people who went with me, they would not go in the rooms. They didn't want to talk to these old people. They didn't want to have any. So this scent of death, this whiff of corruption that's with us in all that we do and with us in every aspect of life, we are provided in God a way to walk by that. We're provided a way to get out of that when we fall to it. We're provided a way. It's in His path. But just thinking we can avoid it just not thinking about it when we have youth and strength, that's not an effective way to deal with it. The, those, the day will come when the valley of the shadow of death chases us with its long shadow. And it comes for us. And what will we be then? Well, if we just go ahead and recite this psalm, having never followed his path, it won't do us much good. If it gives us any comfort, it'll be a false one. If we truly contemplate it, we'll think about all the things that we've missed. His table, verse 5, His anointing our head with oil. The overflowing cup. On this trip, another thing that I did was do a little work for mom and dad in that yard. And uh, mom was real good about every half hour, 45 minutes, whatever. She'd bring me out a bottle of water from the fridge. And it was nice to have that cold, cool cup of water. I think if she would just would have said in Jesus' name, she would never lose her reward. Isn't that what the text says? But, but she would bring me these, these bottles of water. But imagine if you're out working, living your life, doing these things in, in, in this world, 
where it is hot and rocky and there's about there's a shadow of death chasing you around but as you do this your cup is empty you don't get that cup that refreshes you don't have that to drink that helps you imagine the blessing of always your cup is full man it's hot out here today yeah but my 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 water jug's full Imagine facing that, there is no water jug, there is no cup, there is nothing but dry. No, not for God's people. Yes, goodness and mercy, it's like they're following me around. Goodness and mercy are following me. Why? Because the shepherd is leading me. And think about these people who goodness and mercy doesn't seem to follow, but seems to avoid. You know some people have hard luck lives like that? Lives of rebellion, lives of sin, lives of hardness in the world. And goodness and mercy is not following them around. There's nothing in their life that shows that it is. It looks like it's avoiding them. Why? Well, they're not following on the shepherd's path. And so, in contentment in all things. Now, I realize in this passage, the Apostle Paul was speaking about uh, contentment in circumstances of life with having a fullness or having an abundance. The Apostle Paul says, I have learned Philippians 4 and verse 11. He said, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in. Some translations will say, I've learned the secret of contentment. I know how to get along in humble means. I know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I've learned, there it is, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of both having an abundance and suffering need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things. Why? Because I know the secret. What's the secret? The secret is in Christ. The secret is in what God provides, what Jesus helps us with. We think about this Philippian letter, sometimes called the epistle of joy. But when we speak about this Philippian letter with the other letters like it, what do we call it? One of the prison epistles. Where was the epistle of joy written from? It's written from prison. Why? Why can he be so joyous in prison? I wonder if anybody else was so happy in their state of being there. Why was Paul in a better state than the guards who guarded him? Because the Lord filled his cup. The Lord set him at his table. The Lord led him in the paths of righteousness. Even though it went through the jail. Or the valley of the shadow of death. And all these things. He was content. Because his fulfillment was in God. And constantly being refreshed. Well, if you have the outline on paper, which is in the back. And you'd like to look. There are, after this, another couple of slides about contentment in all manner of things, but I think we've made the point. If you want that, it's available in the back, or you may already have the paper copy. And so with that, realizing what God gives us, how much he fills us, that we don't need anything beyond his provision, that he, like in the Sermon on the Mount, if you seek the kingdom first, What about all those things of bread and water? Well, they'll be provided to you because you seek the kingdom 
first. And so let us take this 23rd Psalm. Uh, Again, I'm not worried that we're going to wear it out. Having five versions of it in the hymnal, that other new great version I recently found, having it on all the funeral cards or most of them anymore. It's not that we're overusing it. We're not using it enough. We're not using it properly. We're, though, what we are doing is wanting the blessings of being shepherded, oftentimes without wanting to be shepherded. If you want all this goodness, you'll walk in his path as you, as you follow him. And what does it say about true disciples in John 10? And we're going to be in John 10 soon as we go back to our John study. His sheep, they know his voice. His sheep listen to him, right? And so when he calls out and gives these blessings, his sheep who know him and hear him will receive them. And we should, you know, again, memorize this even deeper. Put it, uh, get it more to the forefronts of our mind by repetition. But it's only there for those that know his voice. It's only for those who follow the great shepherd of sheep. All right, with that, then we close our considerations from the 23rd Psalm. Ask you this morning if you need to come confessing Jesus or confessing sin so as to return to him. If you need the invitation, we offer it as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.